In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I thought I would also mention um, that today is uh, Thanksgiving, of course, but it is also my wife's uh, birthday. So um, happy birthday to my wife. She's in the nursery if you're looking around for her. So that's what we do when it's their birthday. We put people to work. I'm all saying. So happy birthday to my wife who is turning um, 21 today. And uh, I think the strange thing about it is, is that I have a daughter that's 30 and um, a wife that's nine years younger than her. I'm looking forward to the day where I'm going to have a daughter that is uh, twice the age as my, my wife. So it's kind of funny how that is. And um, like I said, if there's anybody who has need to be thankful, it is us as Christians. And so I'm thankful for that. So what I want to do today is this. I want to tell you how a church becomes happy. How a church becomes fulfilled. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be fulfilled? There are very few times when people say, no, that's not me. I, I prefer to be miserable. It's not true. What does it take to be part of a happy church? And if you give me a few minutes this morning, this is what I would like to do. Because it all stems with uh, Thanksgiving. And if you're a passionate follower of Jesus... You know, Thanksgiving is important because it's the sustaining platform of generosity. We need to have what is called the attitude of gratitude. And generosity really flows from our gratitude. Generosity does not flow from our guilt. It doesn't flow from our obligation. It doesn't flow from our duty. It doesn't, doesn't flow from our religious expectation. It flows from a heart which is gracious, which is generous. And there is a point where gratefulness amalgamates with thankfulness to make us generous. And you say, what is the difference between, between uh, uh, gratefulness and thankfulness? Well, gratefulness is the emotion that we feel when somebody does something nice for us. Thankfulness is what happens when it, all of a sudden it becomes lived out. Thankfulness what's hap- is what happens when grateful, gratefulness sinks in. And it's an important thing for us to do because many times We live grateful lives, but many times we don't live thankful lives. And we never, ever come to the point where we realize what we are grateful for. How blessed we are. What exactly Jesus did for our lives. That's an important thing. And Paul talks about it being the thing which amalgamates and is linked to us in terms of of, uh, living a life which is thankful. Thankful giving pours out of thankful living. Isn't that true? Thankful giving pours out of thankful living. And so what happens is we come to the realization that God moves deeper in our lives as we open ourselves to him. And Paul says it this way, and, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and if you didn't, haven't had the opportunity, go back and listen to the first part of this service, which, which or first part of the series, which is creating a culture of generosity. That Paul, as he's talking to Timothy, says this, those people, for those people who are wealthy and have opportunity to give, it is in your best interest to give because that is the life which is truly life. That's the, what he says. Tell them that this is the way that, that you will actually truly live. And what he's doing is he's referring to the statements that Jesus has said. When Jesus was talking about this, he says, a person who lives a selfless life doesn't just hurt their life. What Jesus actually says is a person who lives selflessly loses their life. He goes a step further to talk about this. And for this reason, I believe that there's something prophetic about a series like this. That it's important for us to understand this concept. 
Because going ahead, I believe that God is working and wanting to work through a church which is generous. And the problem is, during the times when stress and, and, and uneasiness comes, the, the temptation is to hold in. The temptation is to not let out. I'm going to conserve. I'm going to keep to myself. I'm not going to do this. And, and, and God in his word says, that is the exact opposite thing that you should be doing. That during times like this, that God wants us to be purposefully and proactively generous with our time, with our talent, with our encouragement, with our patience, with our joy, with every single, every single resource that we have. Basically, generosity is the cure for the post-pandemic discouragement and displacement. It is, it is the vaccine, if it were, to the repercussions of what has happened uh, through our pandemic and the, the depression and the confusion. And um, God has always called his people to be extravagantly generous because God was extravagantly generous. And, and so the question I have for us, as we take a look at the biblical foundations of generosity, we ask this question. What would happen if everybody was generous? What would happen if there was a thing which was called corporate? And when I mean corporate, I mean everybody. Corporate generosity. We have seen the biblical foundations, and you need to be biblical. But the thing is, the most important thing about certain aspects in Scripture are the things not just what the Bible says, but what the Bible says repeatedly. And generosity has talked about it repeatedly. But what happens in a situation where generosity will take over a community? We're not just one person, and we said it's, it, we're creating a culture of generosity. One person does not make a culture. What happens when all of a sudden the Spirit of God moves in a way where everybody is? I believe that the impact is exponential. And I think Scripture shows that again and again. There's a scripture in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, right near the end as he's winding up. And he says this, I want to thank you for the offering that you had given. Now, the Philippian church was a poor church. And they gave, they gave this extravagant amount. And Paul says this. He says, your offering is what he calls, I think it's in the King James Version, a sweet-smelling savor. It smells really good to God. Now, in the Bible, when you hear about that German sweet-smelling savor, basically it talks a lot of times about prayer. But many times it deals with times when God is really pleased. So it got me to asking the question, how do we smell? What is the odor that we give off? And throughout the, the New Testament church, you see this, these generous times that kind of pop up. Perhaps the greatest example of generosity may be one that you never even recognize in Scripture. The Bible tells us that the first church, or the time where the, the church became known as Christians, was in a town called Antioch. They said, you guys are a bunch of Christians. And I think it was a derivatory term at that particular time. It kind of stuck with us today. But it went in Antioch. And what was so special about Antioch? Well, Antioch was the very first community where the presence of God moved in such a way where the Gentile people started to get saved. The non-Jewish community got saved. And they overran everything. It was the very first Gentile church. And it was so overwhelming, the revival that took place, that they called Paul and Barnabas to go 
and figure out what was going on, see what was taking place. And this revival was taking place, and they were doing everything they could because these were, these were people who had no training, had no background in anything having to do with spirituality. But God was moving. And so in the process of this time, there is a prophet, and his name is Agabus. Maybe you remember Agabus. He's mentioned two times in the book of Acts in two totally, like, 30 years difference pretty well. And he says this, there's going to be a huge famine which takes place, not here, but in Judea, where Jerusalem is. And so the Antioch church says, we're going to take up a huge offering. And he said, well, that's great, and that's wonderful. What, what makes that so, so big? At that time, the Jerusalem church didn't know what to think of the Antioch church because they were not Jewish. At that time, I believe that the Antioch church was seen as second level. This is a second level Christians. I know that they're Christians and they're giving their heart to Jesus, but they don't have the Jewish tradition. And you know how that is. You know how things go sometimes in church service and circles. But all of a sudden, something takes place. And when this offering is given, it creates something special which takes place, which causes not only Jerusalem to benefit, but for all of Christianity to benefit at that particular time. It's important to understand generosity and how it has been seen. And there are two passages of Scripture, almost identical, that talk about it. If you just give me a minute here, let me just kind of share these two passages of Scripture. I believe it's important because not only does it say it once, it basically says it twice. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. No, Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit comes down. This is how that verse ends. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and breaking bread into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's hop over two chapters. In case you didn't catch it the first time, Luke adds this. All the believers, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one had claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all, all of them were, there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and they brought the money from the, the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is an incredible thing. And some people said, yeah, we should live that way now. We should kind of have this great big huge communal system. Well, the book of Acts was about 32 years. It spans. By the end of that 32 years, it was a little bit different. The church had grown that they couldn't do that so much anymore. But the spirit of it was still around and available at that time. And so, and so they say something about the fact that there was something that happened because everyone was willing to give. Everyone was willing to be generous. And I believe that every person wants to be part of a, general church, of a generous church. And everybody ought to be part of a generous community because there's repercussions, really good repercussions. So what, is it, what happens when a church becomes corporately generous? Here's a few things. I don't know, I'm not going to get them all, but let me just give you a few. A corporate generosity brings about what I'll call camaraderie. 
First thing you notice, when this church was so generous that they had all things in common, that they were of one heart and they had one mind, goes on to the talk, talk about the fact that they all kind of gathered together. They kind of ate together, talking about the very first communion services that they had were a little bit more extensive than, than what we understood. In other words, what it is saying was they were happy. They were together. And there's something to be said and not to be overlooked about generosity that breeds unity and breeds happiness and breeds health. And if you think along the same lines, there's something about generosity that acts as a deterrent to infighting and discord and dissent. Now, it doesn't mean that there wasn't bumps in the road. It doesn't mean that there wasn't conflict because friction always comes with growth. Can't realize thinking just because we're generous that all of a sudden there's going to be smooth sailings because all of the time there will be issues as you grow. There will be people that all of a sudden you overlook. There will be situations that happen. The same thing happened in Acts chapter 6. They overlooked one group of people. But friction doesn't mean lack of unity. And so this is what was taking place. This is the one thing that those two passages of Scripture say. Corporate generosity brings about camaraderie. But corporate generosity also brings about what we call solidarity. And the thing about solidarity is, well, what's the difference between camaraderie? And what's the difference between that and solidarity? Well, camaraderie is when two people just have a level of unity together. Solidarity is when people have unity together because they're all going for the same goal. Because it's great to be united, but it is powerful to be united under a cause. And so they were together over something which was important. Last week, Jesus talked about the fact that generosity comes from our heart, and generosity was used to solve the problems of that day. They had a momentum that came because they realized if we're together and we're giving together, then God can do absolutely everything through us. Camaraderie, solidarity, corporate generosity also brings authenticity. You notice it also says there in, in Acts chapter, um, I think after 4, it says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I think the world, folks, I think the world is looking for sincerity. I think they're looking for authenticity. I think the church is looking for sincerity. I think that the church is looking for authenticity because a selfish faith is a counterfeit faith. It doesn't matter how good your preaching is. It doesn't matter how well you worship. It doesn't matter how good your programs run. It runs if you're generous. Allows the presence of God. Authenticity comes, the real you comes out when all of a sudden we just say, I'm going to give. I'm going to allow it to happen. And all of a sudden it happens where everyone does it. There's an odor that comes out. There's a closeness that comes out, but there is an appeal which comes out as well because it's real. Not only does it bring about generosity, uh, generosity doesn't always bring about authenticity, sorry folks, but corporate generosity brings about what I call functionality. If you look at this passage of scripture, and I know that I didn't have it on the PowerPoint, if you get a chance, take a look at the end of Acts chapter 2 and the end of Acts chapter 4. And as you read those passages, there is a word which is used often. Power. Powerfully. With great power, the apostles continued to testify. That God's grace was so powerfully at them in work. And there is something that happens 
when a group of people are obedient and when a group of people imitate this thing called generosity. What happens is the door is open for the Spirit of God to move. And people come to know Jesus. And lives are changed. And people are found at the altar. Because when all of a sudden you begin to do what God wants you to do, then something takes place. And I think God has a hard time working with selfish people. And if God has a hard time working with selfish people, he would probably have just as much trouble working through a selfish church. But when all of a sudden this level of generosity came together in the New Testament church, and, and um, I have had, since I was a minister, I've been in ministry for over 30 years, one thing that has continually come to my attention are people who said, you know, why can't we be more like the New Testament church? Why can't you? Because we, because we say, well, you know, in that particular time, it just seemed like everybody was kind of having a great time and that people, people were, the Holy Spirit was moving and people were led by the Spirit. And Pastor, I don't know if I feel that the way I do, but the, the thing I believe that made the church so great was this aspect of generosity that came as a result of the Spirit of God moving uh, within a church. And it became functional. It went ahead. It moved ahead. I believe every church wants to move ahead. Corporate generosity brings camaraderie, it brings, it brings solidarity, it brings authenticity, it brings functionality. It also does this. It brings respectability. There's a, a passage in this um, verse, or these verses, that cries out to me for this church. It says that they are praising God. They are enjoying the favor of all the people. That because of what was taking place in the church, everybody noticed. Not only that, it goes on to say this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, people just came to know Jesus as a, a result. And I remember um, a couple of years ago reading this passage of Scripture and the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, Lord, i got to pray that people at least come weekly to a church. And I believe that there will be a day coming in this church where every week people will come to know Jesus. Why should we not believe that? If the Word of God says that the Lord added to the church daily, can we not believe God to work on at least a, a weekly basis in our midst? And what happens when a church is generous People take notice. What does it look like? Well, all of a sudden the community responds in a way where they say they begin to let their guard down. If all of a sudden you're continually using acts of generosity towards the community, they begin to take notice. And then their language changes, and they say things like this. I normally don't go to church, and I don't go to church, but if I did go to church, this would be the one. This would be the one. And then what happens is one crisis takes place. Life falls apart. They don't know what to do. And the thing that they do, too, is they go to that church that somehow extended a no-strings-attached offering of love to those individuals, however that may be displayed. And as you take a look at this passage of Scripture, these two passages of Scripture, you're left to ask yourself a question. Is the Word of God true? 
Like, is this just, this just a report that Luke gives? Why does Luke give this report twice? Why does he say the same thing twice? Is this just a report that he gives, or is it a pattern? Is it a promise that we have that if all of a sudden, as the church, they decided to become generous, they all of a sudden said, this is what we're going to do together. This is what we're going to commit ourselves to. This is what would take place. This is an interesting thing. It's a, thing that, it's a challenge that, that I ask myself. Because, really, generosity will start with me. I can't preach this sermon to you if I don't preach this sermon to me. And I begin to ask myself, what does this look like? How do we do this? And I said to myself, if a church was going to be generous, I think that they would have to do a number of things. And I suggest to you, if God has challenged you on this, do this. Number one, start without money. Now, I know the very next day, the treasurer is probably going to come here and say, why do you say something like that? we got to pay our bills. But I'll say this. Start without money. Start your generosity without money. Because I'll tell you this. In the history of the church, no church has ever bought a revival. Nobody's ever bought a revival. But every church has gone ahead because they were generous. And the person next to you might be able to give six or seven times as much as you do. But the other thing is this. They have the same 24 hours to give that you do. If there's anything that is the same in all of us, we all have the same 24 hours, those same, those same 24 pieces of pie that we will choose every day to give those pieces of pie to. If all of a sudden you say, you know what, I'll start without money, I think that God will deal with the other aspects, the other resources that are in your life. Be predetermined, too. Be predetermined that you'll invest in people's lives through the church. We're trying within the next month to try and do a a uh, daycare during the professional development days so that somehow we can serve the community for those people who still have to work when their kids have the day off. Trying to work something like that. We're looking at maybe celebrate recovery. There might be some people are saying this. Say, Pastor, I think we should do something for the ladies of this church. There's something we should do for the young moms of this church. There's something we should do for the men of the church. And that's how it starts. All of a sudden we begin to take a look. And if all of a sudden you start to do things one person at a time. It's amazing what God will do. What would happen? I know that we have um, Teen Challenge girls that meet um, every three weeks. Sometimes we have met the service, and, and I had the privilege like three weeks ago to sit on one of the girls' uh, graduations at another church, and, and because my wife had known him, we kind of sat down, and we, we watched the process. And as I watched them pray over her as she had graduated, I began to ask myself, What's next? How does a person who has been suffering with abuse, suffering through drug addiction, suffering through, through issues, whatever they may be, that has brought them to that place, what would happen if there was someone in the congregation who said, I'm going to take that person for six months. I'm going to say, listen, call me once a week. I want to know how you're doing. I want you to get through. If you somehow get a job, I want to try and be there with you. I want you to sit with me at church. I want you to come over for dinner every once in a while, but I want to make sure that you're doing well. I want to make sure you're not going back to the old world that you were before. I want to make sure that you're somehow cared for. If you do it one person at a time, it doesn't seem to be so great. And if everyone does one person at a time, it's incredible what God will do. It's exponential what God will do. And I believe this with all of my heart. The generosity almost always happens at a grassroots level. 
doesn't happen because the pastor said, I got an idea, let's do it. What happens is people are inspired by the Holy Spirit and they come and say, I got this on my heart. Well, go with the dream. I'll facilitate you. A couple of months ago, we, we had the opportunity and the pleasure to be able to support a family to come from, from the Ukraine here. And we're so glad and people gladly gave to it and people are excited to give to it. But I'll tell you this. It wasn't my idea. I wish I could tell you, say, I had this idea. All these wonderful things happened. I prayed over it, and it became. And sometimes that takes place, but many times it doesn't. There were people who came to me and said, you know what? There's a need here. And I believe, Pastor, that if we give to this, God all of a sudden blesses in whatever way. And this is something which is good. And I said, I agree with you absolutely 100%. And so the wheels got rolling. And God moved, and God blessed, and God worked in this congregation and we were able to help. We were able to be generous. And through our generosity, other people are reached. It happens at a grassroots level. It doesn't come at a point where the pastor has to do everything. That's, I think that's kind of unbiblical in some respects. I think God works through all of us. And if we, we take a look at, okay, here's the pastor. He'll do everything. Then we'll get nowhere. But I believe that God works co- co- corporately. There we go. In a powerful way. And if I can say something which is the best for the last, it is this. This church doesn't have to work at being a generous church because this is a generous church. I've been in ministry for over 30 years. I've pastored at different churches. And I'll say of all the churches that I've pastored at, this is the most generous. That there are people who give to missions, people who give selfishly, selflessly, People, people, who, people who give when other people don't know that they're giving. And if there's one thing that I would want to say about attending a church, it would be this. I go to a church which is generous. And when we have a church which is generous, it opens the doors for God to do great things. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Pray for the power of God to move. I've done everything that I could not to stray from the Word of God. I don't want my opinion. Nobody here needs my opinion. What we need is the Word of God. And I believe, Lord, that over the next little while, You have just kind of been doing a bit of a sifting of the church through all the things that have been taking place. And and it's like we're we're seeing the parable of the sower taking place. And and as we've we've dealt with difficulties, there there have been those who have kind of been been living their life on on the wayside and they just don't have the rooting and they've just kind of left. And there are those people who who have just kind of gotten caught up in the weeds and the cares of this life and, 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 and we're kind of left bewildered, not knowing what to do. And and I'm believing that God is saying, instead of pulling in, instead of being conservative, instead of, instead of saying, I'm just going to save and, and, and hope that I can, can get through this, that you're calling us, God. You're calling us to be generous in whatever way it is, Father. Whatever resources that we have, the empathy that we have, the love that we have, um, uh, the abilities that we have, in whatever way, God, that you're calling us. And when you call us and when we imitate you, God, you open up the door to the great things in our midst. So I just pray over this congregation. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we stand at this time?
we stand at this time? I know everyone's got meals. The last thing I want to be doing is holding people up from the Thanksgiving meal. And I know this. I've already called people to the altar before the, the sermon began. But if you're here and you're saying, God, make me generous. Make me biblically generous. Just ask you to find a place so I can just pray a blessing upon us. I'm not saying if you don't come to the front, I'm not going to pray a blessing. I'm going to pray a blessing on everyone in a way. But sometimes there's that step of faith that says, God, just make me generous. Help me to be a generous person. Help me to give you everything. Just pray right now, God, that you will move. Move in people's lives. Allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. God, I pray for the power of God to move. We are so much in a need for a move of the Holy Spirit. We are in need for a powerful, sovereign move of God. And the only way I believe that God will move is if our hands are open. So Lord, we open our hands to you right now. We open our hands. And we say, God, move. Start with me. I don't know. I don't know what I can do about the rest of the church, but I know that I can be. So God, I just pray, Father, that you will allow us to be a generous church, Father, a church, Lord, that will give of ourselves completely, fully, by the presence, by the power of God. I pray that blessing upon each and every family, upon each and every individual, upon each and every person who might be watching online. We've never even met, but God, I know that you can move uh, as we, we watch this service online. And Lord, as we sit down and as we eat together and, and we meet with family together and, 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 and enjoy a Thanksgiving dinner because of all the great things that you have done in our lives, I pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit will call out to us to take that chance, to step out in faith and to be able to give of ourselves, whether it's our time, whether it's our treasure, whether it's our abilities, whether it's our empathy, whether it's one person at a time or whether it's something that you're already speaking to our hearts about, God. Have your way, God. Have your way, God, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen, Pastor.